Welcome to the For Love and Money podcast, the show where business and social purpose meet to inspire a movement for positive change. Here's your host, Carolyn Butler-Madden. Okay, my guest on today's episode of For Love and Money is a woman after my own heart. Carolyn Tate is a purpose and storytelling expert. She's author of multiple books, an inspirational speaker, and a highly respected leader of the purpose movement in Australia. In 2010, Carolyn came to the crashing realization that her career was at a dead end. After 20 years in banking and 10 years in her own marketing consultancy, her work was no longer meaningful. So she closed the business and took a writing sabbatical in Aix-en-Provence in France with her son, Billy. It was the beginning of her search for a new livelihood and it led to her discovering her twin passions for writing and teaching. 10 years on, she's published five books, including The Purpose Project and Conscious Marketing, and she has taught more than 10,000 people on the power of purpose and story. Her own purpose is to help you bring your purpose to life so together we can build a better world. When she's not working, Carolyn's a dedicated community builder and committed Birarung, I hope I pronounced that right, Yarra River Swimmer. And the Purpose Project is a trusted guide to thousands of leaders and her focus is on working with school and corporate leadership teams. Carolyn, welcome to the For Love and Money podcast. I'm really excited to get into this interview with you. Oh, thank you for the invitation, Carolyn. I'm really looking forward to it. Awesome. So I'm going to kick off with the first question, which I ask all of our guests, and that is, what does purpose mean to you? And, and I'd love you to share with us um, your thoughts on the role of love in business. Right. Well, that's kind of a double-barreled question. So, so, so I'll deal with the first half, which is about purpose. So purpose to me is about accomplishing something that's meaningful to you and of consequence to the world beyond yourself. So it's about um, something that fulfills your talents, your passions, your skills, the things that you're good at, and then you combine that with doing something that has a positive impact um, on humanity or our dear, dear Mother Earth. So that's what I, I think of what purpose means to me. It's it's quite a practical definition. It's not something that's really floaty and aspirational. It's grounded in practical reality, which is doing something that's meaningful to you and of consequence to others. Brilliant. And um, I love Rumi. He's the great Persian poet and scholar. And he said that everyone has been made for some particular work. Mm. And the desire for that work has been put in every heart Oh, that's and beautiful. I think that's, yeah, it's what purpose is to me in terms of work. It's about finding and doing work that you just have to do. And I talk about it as being a vocation versus a profession. Yeah. So a vocation is a calling, whereas a profession is is probably more of a, a career or, or it, it perhaps isn't necessarily always um, something you're truly passionate about. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a great way to frame it, and it's interesting, isn't it? Because everyone thinks about their career, but mm. not necessarily the, their vocation, and mm. um, and that touches on something I think we're going to talk about in this interview, which is education, and mm. you know, educate, educating the younger generation. Yes, yeah, that is something I'm really passionate about, and we can talk about that 
a bit later. And, and now to the second part of your question, which I think you're particularly excited by, which is love. Um, well, obviously, love is our ultimate purpose. You know, it's the only thing that really matters in any arena. And your question was around love in business. And I think it matters in any arena, whether it's in families, in partnerships, in big business, in government, where whatever. Um, I think the most powerful institutions of the world are actually built on fear. You know, religion, government, media, corporations. And it feels like we're all living in fear more than ever right now, sadly. And, and fear is actually the opposite of love. And... Business leaders, I think, who don't embrace the concept of love in the workplace can only really be leading from a place of fear, which is never going to be a way to, to uh, build a, a, a powerful, profitable and also passionate business that fulfills something beyond making a profit. That's so interesting that you talk about that. Um, I, I can't remember. I think it might have been Oprah Winfrey who said... Um, everything we do comes from, ultimately comes from a place of either love or fear. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. it. Obviously, there are lots of different motivations and drivers, but you can all, yeah. you can source them all back to those two very, very powerful emotions. And mm. it makes me wonder, you know, you, you just said the most powerful institutions in the world are based on fear. I wonder, you know, was that a, I wonder if that was a conscious decision to do that for government, mm. religion, mm. Uh, mm. business, or, or whether it's been an accidental evolution mm. of the institutions. Do you, do you, big well, question, right? In, do you have it? I don't want to get into conspiracy theories and um, and sort of you know anti-capitalist sentiments and and anti patriarchal sentiments, even though I probably am all those things. Um, <laughs> I think that um, fear is a controlling mechanism. You know, it, the more fearful people are, then the less people will be self-determined and self-directed. Um, and, so, and so, you know, if you think about um, patriarchal systems, capitalist systems, institutions, that they're not really set up to be run um, from an from a aspect of love or, or in, in, in the concept of community. You know, communities are very ungovernable kind of um, fluid sort of um, organisms. And so, you know, I'm a passionate community builder and I'm very passionate about the power of community, which happens from the grassroots upright. And so they're not controllable concepts, whereas... Um, in a capitalist world, it's a very controllable concept because you have to make a profit, you have to meet shareholders' demands, every stakeholder has its place, and unfortunately the majority of the stakeholders are decimated in the process of bringing, um, you know, a business or a, or a company to life. And um, that's that's the problem, I think, and, and, and control happens, fear and control are, are kind of, bed partners in that in that way so leaders who get that love conquers all you know we've seen that with Mahatma Gandhi and uh, Mother Teresa and Nelson Mandela and you know big leaders of the world that haven't used a fear as a as a way to control they have come from love and you can see that they've made a greater impact than many institutions um, might make 
Uh, anyway, I'll stop yeah. there. <laughs> no, that's that that's interesting, and I think let let's just maybe um, contextualize capitalism. We're talking about shareholder capitalism here because. Yeah. You know, there are other forms of capitalism. It's not that capitalism itself is bad. No, it is no. It is that particularly shareholder capitalism, which has really um, disenfranchised or, 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 or just, you know, focused solely on, on shareholder return mm. and profit as the core mm. driver. Um, yeah. That has... Yeah. And look, the free, I believe in a free market, but... but you know, the other side of capitalism is consumerism, right? As, as you know, we're taught that we need to have the best car and the biggest house and, the, you know, all of those sorts of things. So, you know, it's a very, very big, big conversation and, I, you know, I, I believe that uh, capitalism is good um, when it's done with love. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Put Put very, very simply and... And it's funny, we're talking consumerism and we're two ex-marketers here talking about consumerism. <laughs> but I guess we've we've seen the 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 dark side of an industry that isn't all dark, but can be used very much for manipulation, mm. not necessarily for the kind of outcomes that you and I are invested in and a lot more people are becoming more invested in as well. Mm. Um Okay, so yeah, <laughs> great start, really interesting topics already. Um, but tell me about you. Tell, tell me about your background. Um, I'd love to know how you have landed here where you are today and I'd love you to share some of your journey. Mm, well, um, oh gosh, like so you started by introducing me with my little story of like falling out of love with marketing and banking so you know I had I did have 20 years in banking and 10 years as a marketer and I had this pivotal moment where I was sitting with a client at a table um, my dining room table actually I used to bring all my clients to my home it was my kind of home office and I was helping her write a marketing plan for a product that I had no interest in and that I just thought would end up in landfill and I had one of these moments going what am I doing I'm not really even enjoying marketing anymore and I don't really believe in the product that she's selling and this isn't, I just don't want to be doing this anymore. So I had this kind of epiphany like we all do. How long ago was this? This was in 2010. Okay. So 10 years ago. Um, and not long after that, I closed my business, sold my house and went and lived overseas in France, as you said in the introduction and and I wrote um, my third book called Unstuck in Provence. And it was kind of like a, it was a travel memoir. It wasn't really a self-help kind of biography of my life. It was a snapshot of, of from the moment I made the decision to the time I went in France, to France and came home. And that was a pivotal moment for me to, to think about, well, what do I really want to do for the rest of my working life? And um, that led me to exploring training and writing more books. And I wanted to be a teacher as a kid. You know, that quote I shared by Rumi was exactly, um, I did. I was, I was born to be a teacher and it wasn't until 10 years ago that I decided that I would start to teach and, and writing. So kind of a twin purpose of, of writing and teaching together. Before so, you go on, before you go on, can I just go back because, you know, you talked about 
when you were in France, it gave you that that time. You'd had the epiphany. You were in France. It gave you that time to really reflect and think about what you wanted to do. Do you think physically being in France enabled you to do that, or you know what was it that helped you go from epiphany, I don't want to do this, to I know what I want to do? Well, I talk about purpose being a practice and and we don't find it, we actually build it. And and so um, it was that opportunity to step out of a career trajectory, which I thought was going to be marketing forever, you know, and um, it was like a, you know, everyone uses the word pivot. It was kind of like a circuit breaker, which is probably a better word for it because I wasn't going to throw away all my skills and talents and the things that I've acquired from my banking and marketing career. It was about repurposing those skills and those things that I was good at for something new. And um, so, so the time in France was I'm not going to work, I'm going to write. I had a project. I'm one of those people that I couldn't just turn up to France for six months and dilly-dally around and go and look at castles and cathedrals and a bit of do shopping and stuff. I'm not a dilly-dallier. I'm kind of one of those people that has to have a project. And so I had set myself a project to write a book. And I lived very minimally with my son. He was 12 at the time and he went to an international bilingual school, which was about 10 kilometres or 10 miles outside of where we were living, the, the town of Aix-en-Provence, and I just wrote every day. And I had a goal to finish a manuscript um, by the time that I left, and I did. And so I'm not sure if that's even answering your question, but it was this time to do something completely outside of my normal life that I had in Sydney, which was marketing and running, you know, um, project plans and teaching people marketing specifically and yeah so it was a a complete circuit breaker from my past life I guess in terms of my work so yeah that would do it like that that circuit breaker gives you time to think and then on top of that writing a book which Mm. um yeah that you must you must delve into so someone someone described book writing as the best self-development program you can ever do um (laughs) And I think they're absolutely right. Um, yeah. But, yeah, so what a great way to do it. Yeah. And and uh, the other best self-development is starting your own business too. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And But it was the, only the beginning. It wasn't like, okay, now it's done, I'm set, and, you know, I don't need to do anything else. Like it was the beginning of lots of different projects that I took on, you know. I wrote um, a, t- a couple more books and I, I, I did teaching and I, I started, um, uh, led the conscious capitalism movement for three years in Victoria here and grew that community. I became a member of B Corp um, for seven years and got involved in that community. I started a business school called the Slow School of Business because I was very fascinated by the slow philosophy that um, lasted for four years and I had 3,000 people come through that school and yeah, wow, I don't know amazing. how many hundreds of um, dinners and classes and it was a really new way of learning. We'd have these things called deep dinners where we'd get 12 people around a table and we'd 
put a topic on the table and everyone would share what they knew about it. So it was a very different way of learning. Fantastic. Um, so, so I tried a lot of things and um, that's what eventually led me to teaching purpose and storytelling um, was through experience and through learning. And um, yeah, so projects. I think I think purpose is a practice, as I've said, and so every every single time I wrote a book or every time I taught a class was was really a reaffirmation that I was on the right path. And I really like the way you frame it um, that purpose is a practice. I, I talk a lot. I, I agree with you one hundred percent. And I talk a lot about you know purpose is nothing without actions. If it's not inspire, yes. if it's not inspiring action, then you've got to really reconsider whether it is truly. Um, a higher purpose for yes. your organisation. And I guess it goes to, takes me to what I see a lot of businesses in Australia seem to be doing and, and probably beyond Australia as well, where they go, oh, yes, we've got to have a purpose statement and they get around a table and they get Simon Sinek's Golden Circle out and they rehash the Apple model, which was great for its time. Yeah. We've moved but on from there. Context is everything. And, yeah. and, you know, that Apple example doesn't, it's not fit for purpose anymore. No. Um, and, you know, but this idea that we've got to contextualise the business we're in, that'll, you know, that's our purpose statement. And once they do that, that's job done, box ticked, and uh, back they go to business as usual. It's just mm. It's a marketing back. ploy. Oh, it becomes totally, a marketing ploy. Mm. Totally, and it's empty and, and sadly they miss out on all the wonderful opportunities that come mm. with connecting mm. to a d different driver of their yeah. business, impact yeah. and success. Yeah, and I think that consumers today, and I hate that word consumers, I think citizens expect companies to have a higher purpose than profit, which is about a human first purpose or a planet first purpose, you know, yeah. that I think that companies who don't have a human and planet first purpose are not going to have future and that there's going to be a struggle for those companies and leaders who, who aren't able to kind of turn the ship around um, towards that kind of purpose. And what brought you to that realisation, Carolyn? I mean, I, I understand, you know, you've, you've shared with us that journey that you've been on from your personal purpose, but mm -hmm. understanding, getting that bigger picture mm. and the opportunity that is there that, that has propelled you to do what you do today. Mm. Mm. Well, there was a catalyst for me. I, I came back from France and I started working at a not-for-profit um, for a while and um, at the same time I was running my business I kind of re-lit re my business up you know it reignited it is the word not relit. I reignited my business but I also um, uh, read a book called Firms of Endearment um, which was um, a fabulous book written by Raj Sasodia and some other academics about um basically how do we drive businesses with a higher purpose than profit and and so then I read that book and I just had this aha moment of like wow this is the purpose of business to do good and so and then doing good you know do well profit from a financial perspective 
And so that's what got me involved in conscious capitalism and that movement, which talks about the four pillars of higher purpose, conscious culture, conscious leadership and, and stakeholder orientation. And I was specifically interested in the purpose piece, um, but I'm also very interested, and I'm interested in all four pillars, but that whole idea of all stakeholders being looked after in the process of delivering products and services to the market, that particularly interested me, that the stakeholders of community, Mother Earth, you know, um, suppliers, uh, and so it's not just a conversation that exists around employees and customers, which is which is and shareholders, which are the three three core stakeholders that seem to get all the attention. So I was very interested in this sort of stakeholder model where all stakeholders could be prosperous. And I like mm. to use the word prosperous, but prosperity versus profit, because I think profit is a very poor measure of financial success. It's 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 only measures the company's um, benefit from the company, you know, like profit, it, it, it's not really a measure of whether I'm looking after the Mother Earth or community or, um, you know, those other suppliers who are very often screwed in the process of, of delivering services to the market. So it's a very interesting idea. So that was kind of a point. Conscious capitalism was very pivotal in me kind of reconsidering how how purpose could could drive business before profit. Yeah, okay, thank you. And um and so so this leads us nicely into what you're doing today. Um mm. so yeah, perhaps you could share that with us. Okay, so um so I wrote the Purpose Project in 2017 and it's it's a handbook for business leaders and employees and um, anyone who really wants to bring purpose into the workplace. Uh, and since I wrote that, I've been doing a lot of work um, in various organisations. Currently, I'm working with um, 20 principals uh, and helping them articulate their purpose as a leader of their school. So it's not about school purpose. But it's their role of as their role purpose because I think there's another layer in this that um, how do we help people identify their role purpose and role is what you do whereas purpose is why you do it right so you know one of those principles of a girls' school um, her purpose as a leader is to inspire young women to use their gifts to transform the world that yeah, is beautiful. her purpose as a principle now. That may be similar to the school's purpose, but a leader, unless they can articulate their purpose, can't really lead the organisation's purpose. So that's one level of purpose, which is role purpose. So I do work around that. The other level of purpose I talk about is um, personal purpose and how employees can bring that to work. So I'm currently writing a story of a woman who works in an energy company who is um, a project leader, but she's also extremely passionate about health and well-being, and she started her own blog and her own, um, you know, everyone refers to it as a side hustle, and I really don't like those terms of side hustle. I think that's kind of um, diminishing the value of this, this other project that this girl's working on, right? It's not her side hustle. It's core to her everyday living. She's studied nutrition, she writes blogs, she, she teaches people about health and well-being as a result of her own 
personal and her husband's poor health and the journey that they've been on. And so now in that energy company, she actually is an ambassador and she is bringing her purpose, her, her um, company into the energy company. And so now she's a health and wellbeing ambassador, a project leader by day, and also a health and wellbeing advisor ambassador during the day as part of her role. So, so there's a lot to be said for how we, and I call it BYO purpose, how do we help our people find that thing that they were born to do? Because this woman was not born to be a project leader working in an energy company. She's, she's worked out how to make that role purpose-driven, but there's that other layer, well, how can I bring that other thing into my day job? So I'm very interested about BYO purpose and how you bring that into your job. And then there's organisational purpose. So what is the purpose of the organisation? So, you know, recently I did some work with a smaller mutual bank and working together with their leadership team, we helped them co-create a purpose statement. And their purpose is to unleash what's possible in our communities. And it was so simple, so profound, but every single one of their leadership team and their board had a hand in co-creating that purpose. Yeah, wonderful. So, so I kind of work at three levels, organisational purpose, role purpose, and then um, personal purpose or BYO purpose. But what I'm really passionate about is how do we help the, tell the stories that bring that purpose to life? So I think about purpose as the anchor, but then it's the stories that are like life boys that you throw out to people and get get people back on board the ship you know um now i'm so, i'm going to get you i'm i'm you, this is gold okay this is gold <laughs> and i just i just want to dig dig um before you get into storytelling because i know you know that's so rich as well but those three levels organizational purpose role purpose and byo purpose that story you shared about the um the person in the energy company now is that a story you've shaped or is that a real life example no, it's a real-life example. I'm actually writing a blog for her company's approval at the moment. Um, oh, brilliant. So, brilliant. yeah, so, yeah, I worked <laughs> with her. I delivered a talk to their organisation um, three years ago and as a result of that talk, she had my book and we had a conversation and she shared with me what she was doing and I kind of lost contact with her. And then I thought to myself, I wonder what Michelle's doing. I'll just reach out to her. And then all of a sudden she shared how everything had changed in the last three years. She's still working at the energy company and she's bringing her purpose to life. So, so that's the next evolution of purpose we're going to see, which I think is just that excites me no end. I can totally understand why. And you say that's the next evolution of purpose, which I think you're right, but... I love to think about it as, you know, the next evolution of business mm. because, you know, I don't reckon we're even scratching the surface of the potential um, of business, like mm. the, potential, the potential that business can create in the world, the value that it can, can create in the world feels so limited at the moment. Mm. And I don't know mm -hmm. why it it's become that way, but I I just think you know there's there's such a bigger game to play for business and the ripple effect of businesses playing that game for the 
people inside mm. those businesses, for the citizens they serve, you know, for the people they serve, for, for everyone. I think there's mm -hmm. huge, huge opportunity. And looking mm. at those three layers of organisational purpose, role purpose and BYO purpose, I'm really curious to understand how the um, the person, Michelle, um, actually managed to bring her BYO purpose into the organisation Mm. You know, was, was it just her taking the initiative? Like, how do you know how, how it came to be? Yeah, yeah. Like, it, it was her taking the initiative and looking for the opportunities. And I, and I think that that's, you know, the, you wouldn't want to lose an employee like Michelle if she's so passionate and self-directed in her learning and her capacity to, to kind of pursue something that's, you know, her purpose outside of work and for that, her to then go, well, I love the security of a job. I love where I work. You know, I, 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 I love my co-workers. I've got all the resources behind me that I need to, to do a, a good job. And now I have a ready-made audience for my, for my work, um, my other work, my health and wellbeing work. And, and so it was, it was, and she was seeing her co-workers suffer. So, so it just makes absolute sense. So, Michelle's a very self-driven person. So she was able to speak, to, to make contact with um, HR or people in culture, it is called, um, and, and different parts of the organisation to actually share what she's been doing. And she was just featured in their monthly newsletter with a link to her website. So, you know, they've got 4,000 employees who are all going to get the opportunity to read about her, her you know, uh, other project that that um, you know she doesn't have the imperative of making money from you know one day it might make her money but um, maybe it's enough to be able to provide the employees of the energy company she works for with her tools advice and um, expertise so yeah Very nice and it blends um, it, it you know like you say you don't like calling it a side hustle it blends your life and the things that you care about and are passionate about, maybe even love, <laughs> to, um, to, to be able to bring them into the one place, which mm. it just makes more sense. Yeah. Well, you know, how many millions would that energy company be spending on external providers for health and well-being? You know, they've probably outsourced, um, you know, uh, or, or are, or are investing a lot of money in training and, um, you know, support services for employees. So yep. why, it just makes sense to infuse their whole organisation with health and wellbeing, right? So, so yeah, it, it, I think it's a cost saver for companies. You know, there are people in companies who are passionate about the environment. There are people that are passionate about girls and education. There are people that are passionate about gender equality. There are people that are passionate about... Um, indigenous rights there are people that are passionate about all sorts of causes now why would you leave one department tiny department of an organization to focus focus on gender and diversity for example or diversity and inclusion it's kind of like or sustainability for that matter like why make that only the domain of some specialist that yep. has and a, and a small department that's the first department to get cut right when um, the budget goes. So why not find the people who have got 
the passion, the interest, the nous, and and actually empower them to start making change from the ground up. And and I think companies are going to start thinking of themselves as communities. They've got to start thinking Mm. we are a community. We are not a company, which is a hierarchical, structural kind of um, siloed type of um, thinking. How do we think about our company as a movement? Yes. Or as a, yeah. as a community. And, and a movement is something that allows people to, fight, to to cultivate their strengths, their passions, and people opt into, well, I am good a bit with health and wellbeing, so I'm going to offer that to my community. Or I am good at, God forbid, um, Excel spreadsheets. <laughs> so I'm yeah. gonna, that's my passion. So I'm going to teach anyone who wants to know about Excel spreadsheets how to be great at it, you know, like help people find their thing and help them bring their thing into the workplace. And that's how you start as, a purpose movement. Yeah, but as insiders, right? Yeah. So it doesn't it doesn't mean you don't use external you know, suppliers or consultants, but when you oh, no, have an insider, <laughs> but when you have an insider who, yeah. you know, is invested, who knows their colleagues, who knows how the business runs, they've got yeah. all this inside knowledge as well, and they're invested mm-hmm. in it. Yeah. God, it makes a world of sense. And yet we just, mm. we just know you're going to do this and that's all you're going to do. And that's all you're going to bring. It's bizarre when you actually start thinking about it and breaking it down. It's bizarre mm. that, that that is how limited we have mm-hmm. created the focus around mm. business. And um, I don't know if we're allowed to mention the C word, COVID, on this on this program. <laughs> go for your life. We're allowed to mention but, anything. <laughs> but, um, you know, the other C word is community, right? And, um, you know, I think COVID has allowed people to, to some time um perhaps not those with young kids who are homeschooling but it has allowed people to reconsider what they really love and what they're passionate about and get curious and try new things and um you know i've i've started uh, swimming in the birrarung as you mentioned which is the the great yarra river um close to home and i through 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 the through COVID, you know, normally I would swim at the local pool, right? And um, obviously we can't swim in the local pool. So um, a bunch of us women have started swimming down the Yarra. And as a result of that, we're now um, thinking about when we get out of lockdown, we're going to do camping trips and visit all the wild, all the water holes of, of Victoria. And That's fabulous. And, you know, that could become my next book, which I'm passionately thinking about, right, my next book might just be all so about. So you're still writing a book and now you're thinking about the next book. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my I've always, God. <laughs> I've actually got three, three half-finished manuscripts. So I just finished um, my sixth book, first draft manuscript, two weeks ago, and I'm now talking to my editor about that. And, you know, Amazing. that's what COVID did. It gave me that chance to dedicate myself to writing a book when, you know, like many of us, work kind of um, dried up a little bit. Um, uh, but, yes, I think that for many of us, COVID has put that question in our head of, like, if I didn't have to work or if I wasn't working, what would I do? Mm, absolutely. And, and we've got a chance to be curious. And, and I think that thing of curiosity, you know, people say you're nuts swimming in the, in the Yarrow and it's like eight degrees. 
And I didn't know that I loved cold water swimming, but it resets your body. It's a thermostat. It's the mental health ramification or improvements that have come because of that. And then that sparked a whole new passion, which can become my next passion or purpose project or whatever you want to call it. And that's why I talk about this as being projects. Like purpose is not a set and forget thing that you have once and that you do it for the rest of your life. Is that we can all have various purpose projects. You know, wild water swimming is, it's beyond a passion because I think there's a difference between passion and purpose. Like I'm passionate about dancing. You know, I love dance, but I'm never going to study it. I'm never going to go and, you know, dance around the world and and become a you know I'm too old obviously to become any anything professional no, in that sense. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's a passion, but it's not my yep. purpose. But yep. wild water swimming has become like another purpose, and so that's why I talk about us having purpose projects. It's not one thing, not one set and forget, and that's why part of my purpose is to bring purpose to life. Love so it. it's in your living, and it's in the way you live. And it's in the way I live in my community where I live. I live in an intentional community, which is a whole other podcast topic. So purpose is a way of living. It's not actually a thing necessarily. It's actually having various projects that are very tapped in to your purpose. And which is why I use that Guy model, which is quite famous. What are you good at? What do you love? What does the world need? What can you be paid for? And the more we drill around those four concepts, the more you find, you know, that your purpose projects will reveal themselves. And this word you use, projects, purpose projects, I think um, what what I really like about it is projects are all about action. Mm. Like, you know, when you do a project, it can't be passive. Yes, there's got to be action behind it, and um, and yeah, it it fits really nicely. Um, now I interrupted you before you were you're about to get into storytelling, which I'm really I'm really keen to explore with you. So, um, can you pick up that thread, or shall I? Um, yeah, you were yeah. We're talking I about can, the three I, layers, and then yes, I can pick up that thread of storytelling. Um, I kind of feel like I should tell a story if I'm going to talk about storytelling please (laughs) would that be okay that would be perfect and it it relates to um my wild water swimming and um so I'll just share this story and and cut me off if it's too long but um go for your life so so just one month ago I was standing at the water's edge of the great Birarung Yarra River I was wistfully watching a German shepherd retrieve a stick from what I believed was a swimming hole unfit for humans. Oh, to be a dog, I'd lamented out loud to the dog's owner. People swim here too now, she shared. There's a group of women swimming most days. I was both astounded and excited and I raced home and within seconds of arriving home, I was posting a message on our local Facebook group. Is there anyone out there that knows about these wild, crazy women swimming in the Yarra? And within minutes, I'd received a response. And within days, I'd joined my new tribe and I was enjoying the water just like that dog. I'd become one of the first members of our local wild water swimming club. Now, I'm going to put a little caveat in here, which I haven't written in this story. And the caveat is that we are doing it COVID safe in pairs. For anyone who's wondering... (laughs) about all of us people gathering um, 
we're not gathering, we're swimming in pairs. We've got a WhatsApp group now of more than 50 people and it's just growing and growing. So now every morning upon waking, the great Virarung calls. Nothing gets me out of bed faster than the thought of being immersed in eight degree water. Like a woman possessed, I ride my bike down to the river to greet a friend before I strip down to my swimsuit and prepare for the plunge. Stepping gleefully down the perfectly cut rocks to the water's edge, I take one further small step into the squelchy mud of the banks and slide in as gracefully as possible. And I'll just put a little caveat in here again. I'm not that gracefully, I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> my head remains above the water. The cold catches in my throat. I breathe mindfully through the shock. The water is brown yet clean and almost silky against my skin. At first, I'm self-absorbed. I'm focused on my anatomical adaptation as I lose my land legs and morph into a mystical amphibian. In less than a minute, my body is acclimatised. I forget myself and turn my attention outwards to my surroundings. And then my story goes on. I'll cut it off there because I could go on for it's a whole chapter. I could listen. Book. I could listen for for hours. That's amazing. I love it. Yeah. And so then I could just go on to talk about what it's like to be actually at eye level of the water and look up at the cliffs and and so on. And then I talk about how this has turned into a movement now how it, and and that's how movements are started um i i, I reference uh, the wonderful ted talk by um derek sivers called how to start a movement and it's a three-minute talk which i'd encourage you to put in the show notes carolyn and i will do it's all about how it takes one lone nut to start a movement and how Oh, I love that. I've seen that. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's how the first followers that 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 follow the lone nut make the movement. And that's exactly so what's true. Happened, happened with our Yarra River swimming group. Um we're being very mindful about, I know you're sharing this blog in a few weeks, and hopefully by then we'll be out of lockdown. So we're we're kind of in a in a way we're being a bit under, trying to be underground about it you know we've had ABC TV wanting to do a story and all sorts of things but we're kind of trying to keep it underground and allow it to grow as a movement rather than it growing because you know there's some big media presence or whatever and yeah. we don't want to have rules and regulations we were, we're very, very mindful it's mostly women um, that are have joined the group but um that's the start of the story, and I've probably gone totally off piste. Um, but no, keep going. <laughs> yes, yes. So storytelling I is really what brings purpose to life, and and I think that if we can tell stories, and and you know, I've got a framework of about eleven different types of stories that leaders can tell in business um, or in schools. Um, particularly, I'm interested in schools as well, and one of those is a purpose story. So if you are a principal of a school and you articulate your purpose like the woman that I shared before, like what is the story that's going to make that believable mm. to an audience? It's one thing to state that my purpose is to help young women, inspire young women to find their gift and transform the world. But it's another thing to sh share a story of, of her personal life and how she has shared, found that purpose and, and her own story, but then to also share the stories of the students that she's worked with that have done that. Because mm. when you start to tell that story, 
people get on board. They want to be a part of that movement. And without story, you have nothing but stats and facts and a whole list of events that happened. So my real passion is articulate the purpose, but then find a way to share that story because it's the story that then incites the action so yeah. that people would do something and 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 um, I use an eight-step framework in a, a three-minute purpose story that takes people through eight different points that if they're going to tell a story about purpose, their purpose, then there's sort of eight markers to hit. Mm. And so this is storytelling about your personal purpose. Mm-hmm. So of the three purpose levels you've talked about, your BYO purpose and yes. how it connects to the organisational purpose or your role purpose or whatever. Yeah. And Um, I think you you can have, you could have three different stories, right? One one around your role, one around your BYO purpose and one around your organisational purpose. Mm. Yeah. I can can imagine, though, when you connect it to your personal BYO purpose, when it becomes personal is when people really connect with it. Yes. Definitely. And look, there are companies like Lululemon is a fantastic example where they have a wonderful um, global purpose, which is to elevate the world by unleashing the full potential within every one of us. And they also encourage their employees to have their own purpose. And then they teach through coaching and through storytelling, they teach them how to intersect the personal purpose, you know, with the company purpose. So, so yeah, there, there's lots and lots of um, levels of purpose. I think we can overthink it, though. I'm really yeah. passionate about getting into the story piece. And I talk about saying saying your purpose straight not, um, and then say it great. So, like, um, you know, and it's like storytelling when I teach storytelling. Say what you want to say. Say it straight. It doesn't matter how boring the words are. That's what the thesauruses are for. And then you actually say it great, but it's get the points out and then yeah. and then say it with more eloquence and and compassion um, passion and interest. Yeah. And courage. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. A whole a whole new level of opportunity, I think, for um, for communities to reach. You know, you talk about business communities as movements for change, which I believe they can be, and that's their power. Um, mm. But yeah, I think there's 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 so much opportunity that, like I said before, we're just scratching the surface. And the more we can connect people, um, individuals, the more we can help individuals connect to their purpose and organisations connect to, you know, why they're here and what is that, what is that change that they together can use their influence to yeah. create uh, to create in the world. Um, the more meaningful business, mm. work, mm. life becomes for mm. everybody. Mm. And exactly. And it's also about like you're going to have a happier home life if you can bring that purpose to work as well. And it, it's about role modelling it for our kids. You know, I, I think as a parent it can be very easy to expect your child, you want your child to be happy so you want them to follow their purpose, right? Yes. Um but as parents, we don't role model it. So if we're not role modeling it to them, then how can we expect them to do that? So, you know, very often we want, if we're a doctor, we'd love our kids to be a doctor. If we're a lawyer, we want them to be a lawyer. You know, like 
you know, the king's son becomes a king. And, you know, that, that there's a very, um, we have a very, there is a danger that many of us, we want our kids to pursue their purpose and so on, but we don't want them to be poor. So we kind of still direct them. We kind of equate following your purpose with poverty, which I think is a very antiquated concept, you know, that, that it's a bit, um, we've got to think about, well, you're not going to, it is, you can, you can make an income from following your purpose, but most importantly, you're making a contribution to the world and yeah, you're readjusting your values in order to be able to, to pursue your purpose. Um, um, and your values may not, no longer become materialistic. Your values become um, more long-term human um, values rather than uh, physical material values. So there's so many layers to this discussion. Which is why I think the work you're doing is so vital because, you know, I, and I think I might have shared this story with you when we were talking. I can't remember, but um, my, my daughter is, she's nearly 23 now, and, you know, she, she finished uni earlier this year and she had a lot of friends around who, you know, she and everyone else wanted to change the world, wanted, you know, they were excited to get into the workplace and do things that were meaningful and, and create, you know, something that mattered, positive change. Mm -hmm. And yet she, I'd hear stories from her, you know, about, about her friends sometimes where, where, you know, she said, oh, they've been offered a job by you know, this corporate or that corporate. And the sense I got was that they felt they had to take it, you yeah. know, probably because of exactly what you were talking about, that if they followed their heart, you know, that could lead to poverty, whereas, you know, this was an opportunity to work for this big corporate or big mm. bank or whatever it may be, which they couldn't afford to say no to. And mm. so I think, you know, the work that you're doing in education mm. is so vital. Can I just make uh, that you mentioned that word poverty and it just kind of hit me in the heart, you know, because um, there's more kinds of poverty in the world than financial poverty. There's spiritual poverty and there's emotional poverty. Yeah. And, and so... Poverty is a word that we always associate with lack of financial means, but spiritual, spiritual poverty is far more prevalent because of the pursuit of financial um, means. So, you know, it, it's not an either or, it's an and, and, but yeah. that word poverty is so often associated with money, but it's actually a word that can exist in all forms of a human existence. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's like, it's like um, economics, you know, we, we think about economics in terms of how well the economy is performing in financial terms, and yet there are movements that talk about economic well-being. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think, you know, everything traditionally has led to, has sort of pushed people down the path of money, you know. Mm -hmm make enough money so that you can live well and business make enough money um, it's all about making money and like you're you're absolutely right it's there's so much more and poverty poverty of spirit pos poverty of of um, 
good mental health and well-being. There are so many other things that that hit us. Mm. And there, there is another poverty that is arising, I think, um, in the Western world um, and possibly in Australia since COVID has hit, and that is social poverty um, because a lot of people working in the corporate world or in the business world were going to work every day and their community was centred around their workplace. And so now that they're working from home, they're finding themselves back at home and that they don't know their community and so there's a kind of social uh, poverty that's that's been exacerbated through COVID um, and which is one of the reasons that um, you know uh, uh, Yarra swimming hole has become so um, uh, so many people are interested in it because um, many of the women are people that have uh, perhaps are living alone or um, have come from a environment in government or in corporations where their community has very much been um, their workers. Now they're spending all day a lot of that time, I guess, on Skype on uh, not Skype anymore, Zoom. Um, you know, in in virtual meetings, but then the day ends and they've got no one to connect with physically, even for a walk. Yeah, um, because they've not um, built a social cohesion around them. And so I think there's a there's social poverty that is really um, a problem. And, and that's, you know, why community is so important um, where people live. And that's the shift I think we're going to see because people won't be going back to work full time, right? Um, and so they will be working more remotely. Um, and so, yes, I'm, I'm passionate about kind of how you build community around where people live, not so much in workplaces as, um, as well. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. And, and well, it, it, I mean, it comes down to connecting people to something they care enough about that yes. gets them outside of their comfort zone. Mm. Yep. Yeah, and I think having a common, you know, community comes from two words, common and unity. So it's about having, a like, we are all swimming in the Yarra because we have a common goal for mental health and well-being, and that's going to morph into things like how do we protect the Yarra and a whole lot of things. Um, whereas other people will have, um, you know, if they've got children, then then um, their school community is very important or... Um, but often we don't choose our community or create our community. We kind of fall into it a bit like a job, right? So I yeah. happen to live in this suburb and so I happen to be a part of my kids' school community, but I may not necessarily feel that connected to the school community. But so we just kind of rub along with it. So we're not creating community. We're kind of falling into whatever's available. And so there is very much an opportunity for people to create or, or join communities that are very much aligned um, with their way of thinking or their passions um, or purpose. Um, yeah, so that's another subject for a whole new podcast. <laughs> I, look, I, I think there's a there's a couple of subjects there, and we haven't even got into um, the work you're doing with women in leadership, and that's something I'm really really keen to explore with you. But um, but I want to give it. I want to give it the time it deserves. So I, I yeah. would love to invite you to come back 
mm-hmm. and um, and 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 um, chat again because yeah, th- that would be fantastic if we could get into that too. Mm, no worries, I'd love to do that. Thanks so much, Carolyn. Oh, thank you. Um, so before you go away, let me just have a look. I did want to ask you another question. Actually, a couple of questions uh, before you go. First of all, what what are your thoughts on the relationship between profit and purpose in business? Mm, well, they're the opposite sides of the same coin. Um, but I also think it probably goes back to my point around prosperity that that the profit's not necessarily the best measure of success. So there's a conversation to be had with leaders around prosperity as it as it fits with um, yeah within within all the stakeholders that I was yep. talking about before. So they are both an imperative. Without profit, you don't have future. Without purpose, you don't have future. You know, like, but work on purpose first. Work on purpose and how it, how it aligns and integrates and um, serves all, all of your stakeholders. So yeah. very often when I talk about a purpose statement, it, it can't be aimed at a customer. Like it can't be a customer-driven purpose statement. It has to be able to be inspiring and um, understandable and practical for all stakeholders. Mm. So so then how does that purpose then translate into profit and, and what impact will it have on all of the areas of an organisation from customer service through to, you know, um, after-sales service through to um, product development through to marketing and people and culture and that you know there's all of these areas of a business that purpose impacts and it's the great connector so if the company purpose is articulated well and it's practical and applicable and people get it and they they feel like they own it then it's a way to break down silos to talk about and it's the thing that companies can make big decisions on Mm. so I always say to a leader you know when you've got your purpose you then say is this purpose going if I the decision I'm about to make today going to bring me closer our company closer to this purpose or draw us further away from it absolutely and if it's going to take them further away from it then then you rethink that choice you're about to make right so I think they're both an imperative and that if we pay if companies pay equal attention to both then they can't go wrong Exactly. And, um, and without profit, you can't scale the impact you're having in the world. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So um, final question until our next interview. Um, and that is, uh, again, it's a final question I'm asking every guest. Today, we're in 2021. Mm-hmm. We have nine years until 2030, which is the target date for the global goals. Um, we are the generation that have the opportunity to act today. Future generations won't have the same opportunity that we have. So our choice on how we act is going to have huge implications for the future and other generations will inherit that. So I just want to ask you, what's your hope? You know, with that in mind, what is your hope and what is your message to business leaders today Mm. who have that opportunity to act? 
Well, my message is one of, one of gender equality. It, it really is. Without gender equality, we, we, we won't have a purpose-driven world. We won't be putting humans or Mother Earth first. Um, and that's, you know, in the 2040 report, in David Attenborough's, um, one of his recent documentaries, there's more and more and more evidence that um, uh, equality, true gender equality is the only thing that is going to drive our world. And when we look at, you know, I'm watching the 9-11 um, doco at the moment, Turning Point, and you just see war and atrocities mm. throughout the whole thing. And I hate to say it, but they are being created by men, you know, mm. and, you know, there are beautiful men in the world. We want them to lead, but we want beautiful women to lead alongside and we need to change. Um, that's what we need to fix is pure gender equality. When that happens, we will have a, a whole new world. And, and I urge every woman and every man to really understand what gender equality means. There's intersectional feminism and there's a whole lot of areas around gender equality but I kind of feel like, and that's what my next book is aimed at, helping women have a voice and tell their stories. I think that we start with story because it's the greatest level. It's the greatest way to understand each other. But if we don't have gender equality in the world, we will not create the beautiful world that is possible. So well said. Carolyn Tate, thank you so much for your time, your insight and your thoughts on this interview. I really look forward to, um, to talking to you again very soon. And, yeah, I've really enjoyed this conversation with you and I hope our listeners have as well. Thanks, Carolyn. Thanks for listening to this episode of the For Love and Money podcast. If you'd like to take a deeper dive into the purpose movement, visit us at thecauseeffect.com.au. And remember, doing good is good for business. So if you're not doing good, then what are you doing?